Right on radio. Right on radio. Welcome back to Right on Radio. This is Tuesday with Tom. That's right. The one who wrote The Immortals. The one who he claims and wants to have his day in court to prove that other movies, including The Matrix, were lifted from his script. But this is much bigger than a script. This is what is happening in the world, but yet it was written decades ago. How does that happen? Why is this all coming to fruition? And why is this story resurging right now? Well, we're about to find out more as we dig into the immortals. And by the way, if you're on the winning side, you are one of the immortals. And the person I'm about to bring on is also one of the immortals. And she's trying to bring people out of the evil world that they may repent, that they will be saved no matter what their crimes are. And I join her in that prayer. She is none other than Jesse Zaboter. Jesse, it's been a week since I have seen your beautiful face. Welcome back to the fight, girl. Yeah, it seems like too long, but I'm glad to be back. <laughs> we talk so often. It's just, I know. <laughs> it's been, did you miss me? I did, yeah. I mean, I didn't have any good conversations. All I had was children. <laughs> it's like I need some adult conversation. <laughs> well, then you're coming to the wrong guy for that. As you know, I can be silly at the best of times. But let's bring on Tom. Now, Tom, last week, but welcome back to Right On Radio, Tom. Thank you for being here. We love doing this. By the way, we've put all of these videos into a playlist on YouTube, and it's starting to get a lot of traction. Uh, Tom, when we recorded last week, we had such a great episode, and I think there was some redemption in there for you. But man, right after the broadcast was published, the war started. First of all, Tom, Welcome back, and who is Sophia Stewart? <laughs> yeah, okay. Be polite, Tom. Um, great yeah, to be tell here. Tell us what happened after the broadcast. <laughs> back to the beginning. Yeah, that's right. So Sophia Stewart first appears in my world uh, as soon as our case is announced, the one that's going to be thrown, where they brought their own attorneys in to handle the planted wife, who was actually the attorney they were sending to handle was the landlord of her, Everything was in place, the one with the criminal record. Um, the art of war, they had everything set. So they, what they wanted to do is throw the case, uh, have it all planned for that time, right when the statute of limitations is going to appear. They want to make sure they never have to look over their shoulders, that the public will always believe what they want them to believe. So Sophia Stewart appears after it's announced in the news through Warner Brothers news source, TMZ. The, uh, the attorney for Warner Brothers actually is the attorney for TMZ, the news outlet. And if you can call it that, the RAG news outlet. So that TMZ is the one that does this article blasting with the faces of the Wachowskis. And that very evening, we get a call uh, from Sophia Stewart. She likes to use lieutenants and other people under her. She's all about fame. Her uh, title of her company is All Eyes on Me. Now, I think that's fascinating. 
No, to call a company all eyes on me and then claim someone else is an egomaniac, as she says about me, <laughs> you started on your left foot. So it's like, you know, it's just foot in the mouth. And so, and you know, she's just recently walked a red carpet, held up a borrowed uh, Academy Award, Golden Academy Award in her hands and had pictures and photos done. Uh, her second, her former Lieutenant first person is Nicholas Jackson. And he said that, yeah, that she's just staging this uh, with her uh, cousin or something, Derek, who's in the Hollywood machine. And so they're just like, you know, posing with all these things saying she's worth a $55 billion woman. Well, before all this, she contacts me as soon as our uh, uh, news is leaking that this man, they didn't use my name, this man has this claim on the Wachowskis. The Wachowskis are claiming he's a know-nothing hack, famous for nothing. Well, I've got awards all around. But the thing is that um, she calls, has Nicholas Jackson at that time with her saying, uh, you know, Sophia Stewart wants to talk to you. I record that call. I thought it was going to be kind of historic, this lady that claims to be the mother of the Matrix calling all right, at the, right on the cuff, you know, of this. And so she's calling. And this is right around the same time that the gentleman from inside the story department called and told me where to look to find my high school, my name, my birthday inside. The Matrix first graphic, right, and this other stuff. So this is a, a swamp happening. Uh, uh, New York Times, LA Times, they're all calling saying like, you know, you're a hot story, don't go anywhere. Um, so Sophia Stewart calls, we record it. You hear in the background going, is that Tom Oldhouse? Is that Tom Oldhouse? Which, whatever. She gets on the phone, says, Tom Oldhouse, your life is over as you know it. You're the missing link. You're a celebrity now just like I have all my fans, um, you're, you're, you're supposed to do now. So she brands me the missing link right off the bat, right? They have plans and agenda. They provided a wife. They have Sophia Stewart out of USC, the go-to grounds to be the plausible claimant to throw other authors off, you know, to make the public believe they're it. First of all, uh, jumping here a bit, a real author is not going to know what's going on at first if he's ripped off. He's not going to know. He's not going to be the first one to know. It's those on the inside that'll be the first one to know. And Sophia Stewart was groomed for that very thing. Failed as a writer out of the projects. She comes in and USC failing and she's brought into position. And I don't mean to say that because she's in the projects, she's failed. She was groomed. She was hungry. She wanted, uh, well, all eyes on her. Company says it all. So she's on the phone saying, you cannot claim Matrix 1. I'm Matrix 1, Tom. You're 2 and 3. Now, it's interesting that she says that right off the bat, because that's how they throw the case. The attorney who's provided says, we're not going to claim Matrix 1. We're going to claim 2 and 3. Now, why are they both saying this, right? Because when it comes down to a summary judgment, and that's what she's noticed all the activity that's been going on with her now. She's out of the woodwork now with her minions and stuff coming out and saying you know you lost the case you lost the case and that's their main talking point she had done that when hosts were being cut calling me recently and saying you know right away to gloat or basically go you know hosts are being cut well that's the day they were cut they're cut because of your interviews and um you lost your case i said well no uh even if that judge says prejudice on msj it was there was a complete railroaded conspiracy there was fraud there was never discovery. There was no due process. There was no ADRs. There was um, evidence blocked. 
there was just on and on this stipulation order that said not for jury or judge's eyes, only for the attorneys. And they are on top tape saying that um, their contact saying their attorneys in their pocket, my attorney. So we've got them on fraud. We didn't have our day in court yet. But what's interesting is on that summary judgment, which is only a page and a half, saying it's not worth going into the similarities, really, Jack's neck and everything. And by having Sophia Stewart say, right from the get-go, um, don't play Matrix One, that's mine. Uh, you know, you're two and three. And for the uh, attorney saying Rankin on Maui, Anthony Rankin, the planet attorney with Disney and Warner Bros., saying, don't claim Matrix One. I'm like, why not? The Jackson Neck are there. Everything's there. Why not claim Matrix One? Just don't claim it. Give me a reason. And then in depositions going, when the uh, attorney says, uh, for Warner Brothers, why didn't you claim Matrix One? You hear objection. That's supposed to be my attorney fighting for my benefit. Why is he objecting to me saying why Matrix One's not claimed, right? Why? And it's like, what happens is we find out. The reason he's doing that is because in summary judgment, then they can go, well, you didn't claim matrix one. Therefore, any, uh, here, here's right here is a page. I'm going to read it to you in a second from the deposition. For the audio only one, he's holding up evidence of the deposition with some highlighted areas, which he's about to read. Yeah, I'm going to read that. So um, even at the deposition, he blocks me from naming matrix one right? Why? He's supposed to be on my side. Here's the ruling then. And the MSJ says it's not worth going into matchups. Why? They did 60 some or 56 to 60 pages on Sophia Stewart saying that she didn't have any counts matching up. She lost an MSJ. So why did she throw an MSJ at us? First of all, she lost. We've got it here. What's, what's MSJ? Motion for summary judgment, which means you have no credible argument at all no issue at stake that it's not worth being brought before a jury we got jacks the neck sophia stewart has nothing so they spent 56 to 60 pages saying she has nothing then she denies it happened then what we have is in ours a page and a half where the judge is saying it's not worth going into the matchups discussing them well in a motion for summary judgment you're supposed to weigh the evidence but not make a judgment on the evidence you're supposed to not weigh it, but you're supposed to see if it's there. Well, obviously it's there. So why aren't we going to trial? Because the judge is Klausner, Gary Klausner, who was Bush and Robertson's pick. Bush and Newsweek, it said that Robertson's Law and Justice Center was his dream team. The first appointee to California was Gary Klausner by Bush's team and Robertson's team. Why did Robertson form the Law and Justice Center? because he wanted to have conservative judges in place to rule decisions he wanted, not based on evidence, to balance out the liberal decisions that were made. That's Political. it. The game. Yeah, yeah. So what happens here is we have the judge that was planted, who Rankin had says, and I have it on tape, going on and on about how he's the worst pick, but doesn't recluse him. And he says that, you know, he's going to rule in their favor and they're making uh, motions together that MSJ will be done first before evidence is presented. What? That the stipulation said that only uh, the attorneys in on this will see the evidence, not judge or jury, even at trial. What? Yeah, it's complete fraud. No due process. So we will have our day in court. That's why Warner Bros. is coming so heavy. Well, but, go ahead. Yeah, and by, you know, by um, ruling out that first one, that's where a lot of the evidences are in those scenes where 
you know, they've got your ID, your name, your school, your mm -hmm. birth dates, all of that evidence is in the first one. So if that cannot be entered into the argument, you know, all of that evidence is kind of thrown out the window. Well said, Jesse. Well said. Absolutely. Because what happens is that's exactly what they do. They say that since you're not claiming Matrix One, while I'm begging for it to be claimed the entire time, even to the point of yelling and screaming and arguing, please enter Matrix One. What they do is they do not, of course. Sophia Stewart was right at the beginning doing her job as a plant. Don't claim Matrix One. That's mine. She threw a fit when those matchups you just talked about, those inserted bioinformation came out. She then claimed that I was working in, uh, with Warner Brothers on set and called me some nasty names saying I was this dried up loser, whatever, on set um, trying to you know, work with them to throw her case. What? When was I in New Zealand? When was I on set on The Matrix? But now John, Paul Martin and others coming forward saying, yeah, your script was on set. Yeah. And Sophia Stewart even claims the FBI backed her up. Well, that's interesting. We're talking about the FBI a lot now. But you're absolutely right. So what happens is, back to this point, you, I'm glad you brought forward, they claim, Judge Klausner claims, and they claim, writing the report for him to say, page and a half, that anything in the matrix one cannot be used in two and three. So any, as you said, any matchup in matrix one and two, including inserts, cannot be applied to two and three. Therefore, there's no matchups. And the public's going to buy that because they don't, they don't really see what's going on. They just see what these planted people like uh, Sophia and her They see headlines. Yeah. That's right. So let's wrestle to this objection. And he, this, this Rankin was planted there. And it's, what he did was he actually taped the deposition, seven and a half hours, taped it. And he had my recorder and his. Mine's off. He handed the wrong recorder back. He handed me his back. So I have him doing illegal activity, again, fraud, in California, taping people at lunch, taping people off record, taping people all the time, and taping Warner Brothers saying it's a moot point to ask for discovery. Never gave us initial disclosures, never gave us discovery. Fraud. I don't care if the judge ruled with prejudice. It's fraud. He's a plant. They didn't let us have any discovery. I begged for discovery. They never gave it to us. They refused to on this point. Here we go. This is just as good. It's a moot point to ask for discovery because we don't have any working drafts or evidence to give. So you're not going to give us discovery because you don't have any evidence. That does not excuse you from giving us discovery, which is that you don't have any evidence in working drafts. So that's what went on. Is that incredible? What does Rankin do with that? The gentleman I'm about to read to you what he says on objection on, you know, Matrix One claimed. He says, okay, on that tape, then I'll write a letter and we'll agree to disagree. They're in bed together. He's saying, well, I'm going to do nothing about it, right? Nothing about it. And earlier on tape, he had said, I just want to give them everything they want and be done with this. Yet, he had a contract he did not want read or disclosed at all and objects to that too, not for his client, for himself. He doesn't want that uh, shown. I just talked to an attorney recently about it. And he was like, oh my God. That contract, the reason he doesn't want it shown, has a clause in it that says, if I don't do exactly what he wants, then he has the right to demand no longer um, where he's getting it on contingency, right? Where I don't pay in, basically. 
but I'm going to have to pay every fee, every moment, everything of the two and a half years he drew out and wasted doing nothing. Back to him, phone calls, meals, you name it, instantly at that moment, which means I would not be able to get an attorney to handle my case. And the reason he dragged it out so long with a planted wife too, having access to evidence they could destroy, is that I wouldn't have the attorneys that would want to use us. We had law schools wanting to, that were following us, studying our case because it was so ironclad. And so what happens is he does nothing. James Boyd, he has an email where he says, James Boyd, the submitting attorney who submitted all my work after Bonham and Jura's pitch session, right? He submitted everything, tracking the person. Rankin says that he talked to him and, and Boyd has nothing. I talked to Boyd, he has everything. It was all a railroad job. On and on it goes. So here's what he says during depositions. And this is who's, this is the judge speaking. No, this is, this is, I never get to see the judge. They were scared to death of me seeing the judge. In fact, the clerk of the judge, when the judge first ruled on um, summary judgment, he didn't sign the order. Warner Brothers wrote it for him. And I'm sure Sophia Stewart had some words on that. Okay, so, so who wrote this, what you're going to read, just Rankin. for context? This is Rankin and his, quote, classmate, Linda Burrow at Warner Brothers, lead attorney of attorneys of three. Okay, thank you. Right. And keep in Wait, mind. That, that's the summary judgment, though, right? No, this is going to be my deposition I'm going to read to you. Okay, gotcha. This moment where Rankin objects, not for his client, for himself. And here it goes. I do see that, I say. Question, is there a reason why, this is Linda Burrow of Warner Brothers, is there a reason why you did not include the original Matrix here? Mr. Rankin goes right away. Well, I'm going to object to that question to the extent that it calls for work product and attorney-client communications. If there's anything, Mr. Aldhouse, that answers that, that you don't feel consistent of your work product on this case with me and our communications, then you can answer. Otherwise, to preserve the privilege, I'll instruct you not to answer that. what? And I say, I'll go with my attorney's advice. I don't know what's going on here, right? I don't even know what he just said. Then the question, Mr. Bur Mrs. Burrow says, just for the record, you don't have any information other than what you learned from your attorney as to why the original matrix is not included as part of your lawsuit, correct? I didn't know what my attorney doing. So I go, I don't know at this time. I didn't know what to do. My attorney's going, you're not allowed to say anything that involves me with you not naming Matrix One. The only reason I didn't have Matrix One named is because Rankin, the attorney there, said not to name it and didn't give any reasons and I begged and begged it to be named. So how do I answer that deposition question? Wow, okay, so without going too far into the legal fields where we might lose some people, I've picked up on a couple interesting things and now, Jesse and I know nothing about this Sophia Stewart person, but Sophia Stewart is the one who's claiming she wrote The Matrix, and I believe she also is saying she wrote the Terminator movies now, too. And when you said she, she came out of the projects, uh, she, she's a dark woman, right? She's made to look exactly as the Oracle in um, Matrix, so people will, her fan base will go, oh, she's the Oracle. They must have stolen it from her. But that's like the egg before the chicken before the egg so you know egg before the chicken so jesse you have this person with a you know a, and we don't know this we don't know sophia at all but jesse and i have no background on her but 
it's interesting that someone comes from the projects. Man, I love a good story if someone could come out and succeed out of the projects and stuff like that. But, but Jesse, when when you hear something like this, a couple flags go off, and we're not saying this happened. Or, and I'm th- wondering if Jesse's thinking the same thing as me. But Tom, you said she was groomed, and so Jesse, someone are coming out and now taking such a vain stance in the world. It's about me sort of thing and, and doing the red carpets and everything. W- what does this speak to you? Where do you think, how do you think this person came to be? Well, I don't know how she came to be, but there were definite questions in my mind. You know, one being supposedly if this script was written before Hollywood, um, did you have any working relationship with her before you guys started fighting for this case at all? Not at all. She called me after the news broke the, that very night. And um, she said that we were going to uh, work together on the missing link and uh, we would do interviews together and I would be two and three and she'd be one to establish that she's one and I'm two and three. Right. So, so the question is if, if she's this, you know, person who came out of these projects and, you know, not well known, not infiltrated into your world. How does she have all this personal information about you? How is that inserted into the script at all? If she wrote it, you know, an author is going to write out of things that they know. You weren't somebody who was prevalent enough out there where she could, you know, find your info online and just start plugging it in. You know, so where did she get all that personal info? The truth is she didn't. Right, exactly. And you raise a great point too, if I may. It's like, why is my personal bio information in there? Why is Warner Brothers personnel calling me and saying, look, you've been screwed. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, we want to point this out to you. The Wachowskis did this to you. They didn't say, you know, they said the Wachowskis did this to me. That weren't, it's common knowledge from Warner Brothers that they ripped off your work and didn't understand it. But yeah, so the question is, yeah, why? And why is this woman claiming that she's so successful and so wealthy? She now calls herself a $55 billion woman. I have it on authority. She didn't, she doesn't have that. But that she is so feminine. Why is she attacking right and left anybody that comes up and says anything good about me or my manager or those, even there's this one woman that came forward on Twitter and said, you know, Tom's the real deal. He really did write this. The proof is in the pudding. He has the critical evidence. And Sophia Stewart trashes her, says, go back to the hell hole you came from. Why is she lashing out at people she doesn't even know? So you know, Tom, then, does, does she have any work to her name that you, you, that actually brought her into, because how do you get that meeting at a studio? You have to have you know, a bit of a background. You have to be solicited. You have to have someone present your name with some credibility to even get a meeting in this world. So how would she have even gotten a meeting? What what did she have to her name before all this came out? Okay, I want to address that in its two parts because this is such a great question. What I want to do is parallel that question with this one. How did the Wachowskis get a meeting with Dina Laurentiis, get wined and dined? and offered beautiful starlets and money and fame when they had no body of work and were failed at everything they did. You just hit a great point. Next point, her material, just like the Wachowskis. Wachowskis had Plastic Man and Carnivore. It's still not produced. 
my work, the immortals was my door opener. If that's their door opener, why isn't it been done yet? Why does nobody want to do it? Right. And their Bibles be movies, not this kind of in-depth movie like we have here. Sophia Stewart's to go on that parallel. Sophia Stewart's work is called the third eye. She sent it to me. It's 33 pages long. It basically, it's not a story. It's not a film. It talks about beautiful. It's like a fantasy of hers. Like she said, some fantasy one night, beautiful African-American males who are just beautiful land on the surface of a planet through the smoke and fog. That's why she claims Terminator. There's nothing about matrix in there. And what's interesting in the immortals, you have these African-Americans that are running to up the dome at the end. I was trying to celebrate all faiths, all races, which Barbara Walters in the one interview said she loved the story because it celebrated all race and all faiths, right? Hers is a, a black American fantasy world where it's all about black America. In fact, they're throwing the race card at us now saying that a white guy basically couldn't write it. Like what, what? And that, you know, it's just like, that's what they're taking it to. Anything they can throw, which I hate that game. We're all capable of writing. It doesn't matter. And if I have pink skin, orange skin, blue skin, I can still write a good work. Listen, I I say all the time, Tom, there's only one race. It's called human. Right. (laughs) The the color of your skin has nothing to do with with your character, your intellect. So no one's better than anyone else. I don't even want to go down that road. But what I'm I I don't either. With yeah. this is when when you talk about her rise and the things that's happening, and we talk about the courts, and we know from having uh, tea on Tammy, uh, talking about her child abduction and the judges and things like that, and you know literally her child was abducted by the government, a very famous story. Uh, Jesse, this has the Luciferian handprint all over. Everything here, you know, Tom is going to be the missing link. Her other story was the third eye, like, you know, the vanity, the pride, the theft, the, you know, and and the in your face mockery by putting your evidence is, you know, the driver's license, your dates, everything. Jesse, talk to me. Why do they need to mock like this and show their demonic side so much? Um, part of it is, you know, they have to display, um, I don't know exactly what you'd call it, but it's almost like, you know, as sons of God, we have the authority to, to step in and petition against Satan for the things that he wants to do. You know, everything he wants to do, he has to go before the throne. He has to ask God's permission. Um, what I find interesting even in this is, you know, even the name she's claiming has has a very specific meaning in the Masonic world. You've got 55. Well, the number five represents a sword. You put two fives together, it's a double-edged sword. Um, you know, and what are you fighting over? Words, script, you know. So it's the double-edged sword splitting the words. Uh, that's her claim to fame. And, um, you know... Th- because nobody's stepping forward and fighting this in truth, you know, you were trying to, but they're suppressing that. Um, They're going to come forward. They're going to flaunt their victory that they think has happened. And um, you know, what needs to happen is we need to step forward and not let this slip under the table. 
you know, we need to fight this not only here on earth, but in the heavenlies and say, okay, Lord, no, we're, we're petitioning that the truth be revealed on all these people. You know, every sin laid bare, everything the Lord says, you know, he will bring to light the evil and, you know, even the book of Isaiah and Jeremiah, there's some pretty graphic imagery, you know, where the Lord says he will lift up the skirt of the harlot and the prostitute and lay bare their nakedness. And that's what we need to pray is that the Lord will do that. So, so Jesse, you, you just, something you've said before, and it, it just it came back to my rapid memory here. Uh, when, when people are in the system, they have their evil list and they have to do a, a, a commit an evil act every day or whatever. And they have to show their, show your work essentially. Right. Right. So, so, and I, and I think I'm going somewhere with this, Tom, I, I, I'm getting some revelation as we speak here, but if they have to show their work now, they've blocked the courts because it takes an immense amount of money and they have so much money. They can shut down, they can buy judges, they can do all kinds of things. But the symbolism will be their downfall. So maybe it's taking this fight in different direction than just straight it head on in court. I think that's a brilliant assessment and thought process there. I was just, that gives me chills, both you guys. Because it's like Sophia Stewart actually claims she has a white witch, that she has a witch that works with her, sorceress, whatever. And she, it's on her site. And she also claims... Um, that curses are going to be put on uh, the Wachowskis and these others. She claims that my boys died because of me in a cult and she'll mock and call and I'll take those calls when she calls. It's funny how they'll say, you know, I never did that or it doesn't matter if I did that. And then you say, well, I taped it. And they're like, well, you can't do that. And it's like, well, it's, you did it. You did it. So, you know, you can't have both ways. So she'll call and, and just start berating and tearing in and trying to get a reaction and trying to cause despair. And it's like, you know, your boys are dead because of you, because you're in a cult. You murdered your sons because you're in a cult and they're dead because you messed with a cult. I have a, um, I keep a file on her now on my computer for evidence. And one of the things she does is does this contact that gave me this information she had sent them where I did an interview with a Carrie Cassidy or something. And it's like, she goes, don't, this Tom guy, um, he's in this cult and this cult is happening where his, uh, you're going to be killed too because of this cult. What's interesting is they're throwing- Were you ever in a cult, Tom? Huh? Were you ever in a cult? I attended Pat Robertson's university. I didn't a lot of <laughs> so, but I was just trying to get good grades. But the thing is, yeah. <laughs> We're doing it for the cult, just for the grades. That's right. <laughs> or keep in mind, his professors say the reason to go there is to meet models, where Christian men will meet models. That's the big thing it does. Really? Great. Well, I didn't do either. But yeah, so it's amazing that, you know, Sophia Stewart is actually groomed, put in place to be the claimant and look like the oracle. What kind of argument is that, that she looks like the oracle in the movie, therefore she must be the one stolen from. Her work, Jeff, is only, Jesse, is only 33 pages long. And after that, there's nothing. It's just her book is those 33 pages. And then you just have diagrams that don't make any sense. And I'd like to hear what you, Jesse, would think of the diagrams if you see the book. It's a 30-some dollars pop for nothingness. And people keep saying it's a waste of money in my life, worst money I've ever wasted. But well, the thing yeah. is that after that's just court records. What's that? 33 keeps coming up. 
Yeah. Well, your piece too is a prophetic work. So if we think about their long-term agenda, like what's currently happening now, um, you have the rise of, of the Muslim brotherhood mm-hmm. as, and like, look at current movies, you know, Beyonce, Jay-Z, what are the movies in Disney coming out? It's about this rise of a black Messiah. That's incredible. And so, you know, her being able to claim that and be in the Oracle or the prophet being the one who looked at it, it gives credence to that false prophecy, that false Messiah. This is amazing. Cause Nicholas Jackson, who was her number one that called me that time when, when, you know, news first broke, he's part of that group, the Muslim group. And he keeps wanting me to write, the immortals, not as written, not as copyrighted, but as a Muslim blend and story to take my work and transform it. So you have these people that come on your side and work with you. And next thing you know, you don't know if they're really working with you. He just told me yesterday, he wants $25,000 in his PayPal or whatever kind of account that he can look into doing our malpractice because he helped um, Sophia Stewart with her malpractice, but then Sophia Stewart apparently burned her, didn't give her anything back. The reason Sophia Stewart won anything at all in the end, she didn't really win. The opposition made no opposition. Warner Brothers let her save face. And one of their arguments, like they didn't even show up on the malpractice. She didn't win that she wrote The Matrix. And that's what she's lying about. And that's why they had a falling out, Nicholas and her, because she's lying about it. She didn't win that on those points at all. The opposition never shows up. So she gets default money on a malpractice that has nothing to do whether she created it or not. And so that's really interesting. But to the courts, it shows she won her case, which was about about writing Matrix 1. When there's no evidence whatsoever, even there at all. And how meticulously uh, covered was that MSJ from 2005 and 2014. 2005, that's 56 some pages saying there's not one single evidence at all that this claimant has made, nothing. Now her plants, this guy's called Third Eye Witness. Well, there's a plant if you want one or a shill. And he's going on using the crass talk as she does and saying that, look, Warner Brothers never said that Sophia Stewart was a fraud. Are you kidding me? That's your evidence? That Warner Brothers never, what, what are you talking about? But, you know, and the FBI never said that Sophia Stewart uh, was in the wrong. Yeah, I would expect that. Yeah, it's like, why so, is the FBI even involved in this at all? Like, yeah, what did they, they have to do with, with movie scripts at all, period? Well, there <laughs> they are. All. Yeah, there they are. And she keeps pulling out that she's, you know, covered by them and all this other stuff. It's, it's unbelievable. While claiming she has which, uh, which is on her team and that she's putting curses, a curse, a blanket curse that anybody tries to touch a matrix, they'll be cursed. I'm like, are you serious? Whose side are you on? Well, white well, witch only, only can benefit or say, you know, bless. So you could pull that on her and say, hmm, maybe they're not white witches if they're going to be sending curses. There you go. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, she does get my goat. She gets me up. She gets my dander up when she starts saying my boys are dead at my hand. My, do- my boys died because I was in the call and mocks me. If you hear these tapes where she's calling and mocking, mocking, and she always has to do it in front of an audience. 
she puts other people on the line that are hers to hear her perform. I have a tape of her where she calls me, where she says she's gonna, she's won her case in Idaho or whatever it is, Utah. She didn't win really. It was default. And thanks to Nicholas Jackson, he was able to legalize and get through where they never show up. Uh, but it's not about owning Matrix, right? Or Terminator. But she calls me and you actually hear her going, I want you to come Tom Oldhouse and see me get my millions, my millions. I want you to come see my millions. She's just taunting. And I say on that tape, well, I'm glad one of us actually are getting some dues for where our hard work is. That doesn't stop her. She goes on and on. Then she says, I've got the letter. I've got the letter. I kid you not. She's singing that child's rhyme going, I've got the letter. I've got the letter. This is a how old is this woman, right? So what she's saying is she's going to beat me and win because I'm the writer. I have the evidence, but I wrote a letter to Warner Brothers in 2001 asking about um, Matrix, uh, the Jackson Neck, and Terminator. I'm not Terminator. Um, Demolition Man, right? But I mentioned the Jackson Neck saying, look, there's things here. It wasn't enough for me to go on with the suit, I thought. So she's saying this letter's there, which how would she even know? And it's like, you know, therefore, I'm, I've got the letter. I'll get the millions. You won't because I have the letter that proves you already told Warner Brothers that you knew about this stuff on your statute of limitations. So she's not talking about her evidence, which she never shows. She's only talking that she's going to beat me now because the writer, the poor schmuck, as they say, who didn't find out till too late, already submitted in 2001. Well, this begs the question, you get 10 years. You get 10 years, right? To discover and what she's leaving out too is that warner brothers took that letter and stripped the last part out and i have that copy which says um i'm enclosing the materials again for you to peruse to see you know to check and see if this is a valid claim to work between us that's what i was doing that's how i work not how sophia stewart works but they took that out because they didn't want to show that they actually had access to it at any time i'm submitting of course i'm submitting the script again so it actually works against her where she's trying to make it work in favor of her, you know? So it's, it's, I don't know if people can follow that, but what happens is she's taunting me on tape using a child's nasty little sound and, you know, egging on to say that she's going to win because she's going to prove that I submitted, uh, that I knew about uh, the theft and waited too long, not about her evidence. I think that's very telling if that, if that makes clear at all. Well, again, you know, I'm going to go back, Tom, that legally, I don't think, you know, the way the courts are right now, the amount of money that they have and the amount, listen, the amount of money that's at stake, which, you know, would be for you, 800 to probably $1.2 billion. That's what they're putting it at. Yeah. You, you know, um, so, you know, you would have to have huge resources or, or a firm that will do a good deal on 50%. Right. You, know, well, you just, you just go forward, it. but hold on. But go I'm just going to go back to the things that we've learned over the last little while. Symbolism will be their downfall. I just want to repeat this again. I think Tom, before making the documentary on the immortals, I think we need to document all of their symbolisms for all of these years. And by the way, I believe you have God's favor. The fact that you got the wrong tape recorder, you got the, like that doesn't happen. You wouldn't make a mistake there. That's divine intervention. 
Mm-hmm. Now, I think you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Another you thing I want to pick up on, because listen, the battle has to be fought in the spiritual before it happens in the physical. So that's why I'm focusing on it. It's, it's important. Right. Why? And I'm going to ask this to Jesse first, because Tom, you might have some notion of it, but why would they say the missing link about Tom? Is there any significance to that, Jesse, that you can think of? Um, I mean, it can be used many ways, but I think specifically they're saying, you know, that he's a piece of, of the puzzle they need, um, which I know we had brought out in a couple other shows that, you know, what you have that they don't is that you were hearing the prophecy straight from the Lord and writing it down. They didn't have the prophecy written down from the Lord. They seek it out. They search it out, but they have to wait until the Lord reveals it to know, you know, in the moments, you know, they, they, they know the end picture, but they still think they can make changes along the way. And they have to know the step-by-step laid out prophecy in order to try to make those changes of what God has willed. And so you're that link where you're laying it out step-by-step pieces to their puzzle they didn't have that tells them the direction God's hand is moving. Oh, I got something to add to that, Jesse. I've been, and, and, and then, and then back to you, Tom, but something Mark Taylor has been saying, and listen, some people come against them. Some people like him. I personally like Mark Taylor. I'm trying to get him on this show badly. Um, just, you know, his message really resonates within the, what I hear from God. But he's been saying lately that, you know, like all the, uh, psychics and card readers and all this that you know they they get their knowledge from the the tree of good and evil and where you know prophets get their knowledge from the tree of life the knowledge about good and of good and evil is drying up and they're not able to access this kind of inside spiritual information anymore so they're copying what prophets are saying, and they're trying to spin what prophets are saying. He's been claiming this for probably, well, I've been hearing it for about a half a year or something like that. But maybe it's been going on longer, Tom. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why you're the missing link, because they feel you're hearing from the tree of life. This is just what you both said. Both of the things you guys said, both of you, I'm just, I, I'm just blown away. I've got chills off the charts because there's so many ways to look at this. You open up so many doors. It's so amazing. The architect allows Neo to survive in the original story because of this very thing. He allows him. He's the missing link. He's the one that's supposed to complete the picture. The architect has his timing for him to play his part. He's also the channel. The Oracle in the Immortals, the original screenplay, has his part to play at the right time. So the architect allows him to survive until that time to fool his function to do it. But God outwits man. While man tries to outwit God, God outwits man because these individuals do their part with the heart and the courage with others with him as we are doing now to finish the job. Not the way the architect intends, but the way our father, our God intends. And that's exactly what's playing out. 
If people have any question that this is the time and this is it, it's all happening. We're seeing traffic off the charts now, everybody coming at us at once. Why is Sophia Stewart in place? She's supposed to create despair. She's supposed to cause, cause disruption. She's supposed to uh, cause it where you can't do a livelihood. What does the FBI do? What happens is they take away your jobs. They have information meetings. You'll hear this more and more. You won't be able to earn a dime. They'll make sure that everything's ripped away. The Rockefellers did the same thing at Colonial Williamsburg. They had me hired and then fired, 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 fired without reasons. So you can't even provide for your last son while they're telling you, which is recorded, they know you're concerned for his safety, your last son's safety. Because they're keeping their asset in line, their star players on the bench, they're keeping you in line for the time they have deemed on their agenda and their needs and their plans. But God has his own. All right, Tom. So you brought it up. We got to go there now. How does, at least in your screenplay, your mm -hmm. script, The Immortals, mm -hmm. how does it end? In the end, I fail. But by failing, we all win. What happens is the gentleman, Neo, which they call Thomas A., with my father's name, my high school and everything, what happens is his main drive is his family. He's... He didn't start out to save the world. He just wants his family back. And is that not how they're playing out our story? They gave me one last son. And what happens is in the end, he has a picture, which Mel Gibson uses in Braveheart, who's ones that winded on the Wachowskis or was part of bringing him into Daniel Laurentiis, which is used in Elysium. At the end, the picture falls from his hand after the wave is formed and the key is turned. There's a picture in his hand of his wife. And what happens is... Um, he can't even remember his daughter's name at the end. He's been through such hell, but he watches. Neo's supposed to watch the face-off of the identical figures. The architect, in mind, the architect's son who took his place, comes back as Christ. He tries to look like Christ, which is Robertson's plans to do the second coming, to fake it, to be seen as Christ coming to him. The identical figures on the hill at the crater. And what happens is, the architect is faced off with the real Christ. I watch it happen. And what happens is I couldn't do it, but I had to walk it faithfully. They put me in my own story. Now they're talking about portals and the portals opening and what's going to come through and what's going to happen. And they have this godlike power now and they want to shut the portal, shut the portal. What's going on, I believe, is the ending is our real father appears, our real Christ appears and puts it right. I think we had to have a lesson. God outwits man. Amen. 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 <laughs> this is playing out so real. And, and it's funny you mentioned the portals because we've had a lot of listeners, Jesse, asking about the portals. And, and it just, you know, in my studying, it keeps coming up about the gates opening up. And you know, there's more and more gates that are opening now. And, you know, it's kind of like a last play going on. What, what, what do you say, what, what's happening now with the gates and with the portals? Jesse, I know you interface with them or you have. Um, well, they operate two directions. So the gates go vertically towards heaven or towards the uh, lower realms but they also go uh, horizontally towards each other. 
currently the up and down vertical access on all the gates is closed. Um, but what they're trying to do is use CERN and DARPA and HARP. Um, they're trying to interconnect, you know, like if you look at ley lines, you look at all the, like, it's almost like a spider web, how all of the spiritual gates interconnect. So they're trying to connect all of them together so that if they get enough energy, they're hoping they can open all of the gates at one time, which then would open the vertical access point um, and give them a straight way into heaven. And we've talked about, you know, that that's the enemy's agenda, that Satan really believes he can usurp the throne of God, um, but he has to get his demonic generals and his um, angelic arm or his demonic army through those gates. Um, so this is what they're trying to do. So they're trying to do a jailbreak, but so the vertical ones yeah. are closed now. So it's only, you're saying that it's only the ones that have come through the gates in the past that are roaming through the air. Correct. And, yeah. but the, but God can send his angels at any time. I would think that that's right. an easy one. Yeah. Well, it's interesting in the Bible, it talks about rebuilding the temple and really building the temple in certain specifications that are very defined and very um, balanced with certain materials. It's like, what's going on? And he says, so I can fill it with my presence, basically. And, and it's that's being built get, right now. Yes, I keep getting the guidance, rebuild the temple. I have on my son a promise that, like Solomon, he will help rebuild the temple. As a generation, in his generation, he's going to do this. And it's like, um, and that doesn't give me an ego boost. I wouldn't put that all eyes on me. I'm saying this, I get this comfort from knowing that there is a reason to do this. There is a reason to rebuild the temple in certain specifications. The Masons talk about it all the time. That's the, that's the, what are we, every meeting we have, we're talking about the temple and how it's designed, how it's laid out. We go over and over and over it. Hence the Masons. But so, so the temple is being built as we speak right now. The finishing touches are almost going on it. Um, you, you can see there's videos of it being erected right now. Um, but Tom, when, when I hear rebuild the temple, and I'm just going to offer this to you, I don't know if this is going to reside, but I think because of what you've gone through, and, and you've gone through a lot, my friend, the, the temple is you. You have to rebuild your temple. You have to be strong to go through this. And and you know that at the end it's not going to be your effort, but it's going to be but you're in but you're in the fight and you're an important piece in the fight, as we all are. Well that's but, the you know, like, you've yeah. been given extra responsibilities, but unless your temple, your temple, your shell mm -hmm. is in fighting form you're right. uh, with, you with very clear and holy motive that's right what you just did is another more just layers of power on that one because it's like i feel like john snow with the arrows to the back every child taken as an arrow through the heart and i have to keep going but i'm supposed to be coming intact out of this my character intact courage heart and faith intact compassion intact and that's where the other side is going to be just they're just losing it i'm supposed to be this roach they crushed and Sophia Stewart's supposed to mock that through and, and hammer it home, along with these other people that are now calling off the charts and leveling while trying to keep us out of the public eye. It's interesting not to draw attention while trying to crush. 
But the thing is, yes, I'm supposed to be intact when this is done with my heart, my feelings, my compassions, all balanced while they're trying to shut me away with the 302. So what the other side is doing is we threw everything we could at an individual and he's still standing. It's like that scene from Star Wars where we're going like this and they threw everything, you know? And so I agree. And then when I, when I first stepped into this, I had that guidance that was, they looked for some, or I looked for someone and found no one. And I said, I'll do it. I'll do it. I didn't know what I was volunteering for. You know, I didn't know what I was volunteering for. And it said, you will drink this cup and it will not be taken from you. And I was like, "Uh Oh, okay. Well, I'll do it right. And then I experienced that training. So Jeff, what you said, just bam, it just went right. Powerful through me. So Jesse, can you give a little bit of, and Jesse's a chaplain. So I come to her for, for wisdom in the scriptures and in the word. Jesse, how does one rebuild a temple? Well, it, it can actually go all the way back to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Um, that word knowing or knowledge um, in the Hebrew sense, it, it means like at a quantum level that you are entangling or twisting with something. Like if you think of a cord or a thread, if you just have one layer you know, it easily can fray or be broken, but if there's three or more twisted together, it's strong. It's, it's literally knit together. Um, so that word knowing, you know, I mean, you think about the temple and what does scripture say about the temple, that it's the place where the spirit of the living God dwells with men. And, you know, David had that relationship with the Lord. He was very intimate with God. He knew God, yet he begged God and said, let me build a place where we can dwell together, Mm -hmm. a a place just set apart for you and me. So this temple has this idea of a place that's set apart just between God and man. Um, You can go all through scripture. It's really interesting. So the place where the temple is actually built is Hebron. That's the mountain that, you know, in the book of Joshua, as the Israelites were coming into the land of Canaan and conquering it because the Lord promised and said, this is your land. Now go in, conquer the giants and take possession of your land. Well, after they had gone in and taken possession of all the cities that were in the land of Canaan, there was one mountain left and the, one of the cities on that mountain was called Hebron. And Caleb said to Joshua, he said, you know, give me this mountain to conquer as my inheritance. Well, Hebron means a place of joining. And that became the city of David. It became the place where, you know, the temple was built and that place where God made his dwelling with man. And, um, you know, so the glory of the Lord literally dwelt there. But it's it's not that concept of where God's in the temple and we're all kind of outside. Because the New Testament changed everything there. Right. It's now everything is open and we can enter into the Holy of Holies. It became that access point between 
you know, us and the holy of holies where we can go and intimately dwell with God and know him. And in the end, you know, think about those words when, you know, it says in the end, there will be people who, who say, Lord, Lord, you know, did I not do this in your name? And did I not do that in your name? And what does he say? He says, I do not know you. He doesn't have that intimate entangling with them. And that's what they'll be judged on. Um, that will be the dividing factor that those who know him, you know, will be with him forever. They will have eternal life and enter into that place of eternal dwelling together. Those who have refused to, you know, and, and think about that knowledge, that word knowledge again. If, if they're not knowing God and experiencing God intimately at that quantum level, what were they entangling themselves with? Was it white magic? Was it black magic? Was it trees? You know, I mean, what were they trying to entangle themselves with? Um, and it shows their heart, you know, that they, they sought to entangle themselves with everything except for God, who they were meant to be intimate with. I did not know you and... In the letter to the church of Laodicea, I will spit you out of my mouth. If these scriptures don't put the fear of the Lord into you, I'll tell you, that makes me sin less every day. <laughs> just knowing that. I just want to wow. say, I'm grateful for you both so much because when I was given that cup, it said I looked for someone found no one. But the idea was that if I did my part and wrote what I was supposed to write, I would have community, a remnant gather. and uh, my children back. That's what I believed. And so loved ones carried on the arm. And so I want to say that, you know, I, I did that part and that was, look what it's done. That screenplay is done now and how they shut it down, but keep trying to use it. But here we are, I'm getting, getting to meet the best with courage, with faith coming together. And that's what said would be my comfort. And it's very comforting to be on this program. Wow. Well, as we, in our pre- Recording prayer, uh, the, the glory goes to him, but it's so he can dwell within us in our temples. Tom, what a fantastic show. I never know where this is going to go when you come on. Man, like we, we don't plan out any of this. Um, it just kind of rolls. The, the revelation you put out today was so good, Tom. Uh, we're going to reconvene. Jesse, your insight so mm -hmm. invaluable as always, your wisdom, your, your experiences. Um, and I'm just thankful to have this, this platform to be in the company of, uh, of my good friends, Tom and Jesse. You've been listening to Right On Radio. Her website is Illuminate the Darkness. Visit Illuminate the Darkness and Illuminate Your Mind. And please, you have an opportunity to join Jesse's army and help her be in the fight full time. Get on it. She really could use your help. You know, this is, this is tiring. She has all kinds of things coming at her. Also, I want you to support Tom. Go to his website, redpillrising.org. My name is Jeff. Thank you for listening. Please like, subscribe, and share this. Believe it or not, hitting that like button, hitting that notification notification bell. Everyone asks you to do it, and it's for a reason. It's because that's how we bypass the tech tyrants that are trying to keep the truth from you. 
May God bless each and every one of you listening to this program. We're heading into a new year. There's going to be some really special messages coming out. Jesse and I are planning some stuff for you. And we'll be back with Tom next week. Remember, love your God, love your family, love your neighbor, and make a difference in your community. Right on, right on, right on. Right on radio. Right on radio.